the word why. What a curious word. The kind of word that can make us cringe, feel defensive, or even distant. But you know, sometimes why is the key. A key that can unlock so much to our lives. Join me as we explore the why with fascinating contributors to the world. Those that entertain us, inform us, teach us about life, and if we're lucky, inspire the next in all of us. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and welcome to Headroom, a production of Rainlight and co-produced by Old Soul. Let's go. Well, uh, so many of you that have um, followed my interviews, uh, I think that you've seen that I've been on a bit of a path wanting to talk to the best and brightest and best in class and thought leaders. And this is such a treat for me, and I think it's going to be a treat for you, but Divya Gokulnath, she is the co-founder of Baijus, and we've spent time together in the past. I did an article on her and her husband, uh, really in the love story that that brought the world Baijus um, for Forbes. This is a follow-up because I've been following Divya now for quite some time, and I think probably being very transparent, it's because I have a very strong daughter and a very strong wife, and I just really align with Divya as uh, her sensibilities as a woman, as an entrepreneur, and someone who isn't afraid to share her voice in the spirit and the promotion of females around the world. So we're going to spend some time today getting to know a little bit more about Divya and her perspective on being an entrepreneur. Divya, it's so nice to be uh, spending some time with you today. Thank you, Rod. So nice to be back chatting with you again. <laughs> let, let, okay, maybe you've, you, you know, in our experiences, this won't surprise you, but let's, let's dive right in. You know, there's the notion of the glass ceiling. And I, I wonder if, I'll speak for the American audience, I wonder if we have romanticized to some degree this notion of a glass ceiling and then celebrating when we think that we've broken the glass ceiling in different examples around the country or the world for that matter. But I also think that we're missing an opportunity to have a better understanding, to contextualize what the glass ceiling looks like, what it feels like. And I can never know that because I'm a male. And on top of that, I'm a white male. And so privilege has followed me around planet Earth in ways that I can't connect fully. Can you help me understand and the audience understand your perception of the glass ceiling? If you were walking in, if you were painting a picture, what would it look like? I mean, is it, is, it, is, it, is it lit up? Is it a dark room? I mean, how should we understand the glass ceiling in the context of trying to get out of the way so young girls and women can realize all the potential and amazing gifts that they have? Yes. Uh, so if I have to paint the glass ceiling out, right, for me and for so many women who are trying to give their best at both at work and at home, it looks, it's multifaceted. Uh, there is the society, uh, there is there is age-old stereotypes, there are notions, uh, and all of this ties down into uh, myths, uh, right? Like women cannot take charge, they can only take care. So all of this, I think, is etched in this glass ceiling. So to shatter it, for me, it's multiple layers, and all stakeholders build the ceiling together. So it's the family that can play a role. There is uh, the environment in which you grow up. There is the, the organization in which you work. So all of these, every step on the way and every step a woman lays, and for me, it's walking across that glass ceiling because, it, I mean, it, it, rather than being in front of you, it is something that you walk on. And every step that you take, you're going to hit a roadblock again and again. But uh, to break that, you need you need a stronger hammer, right? And that hammer 
is the same thing which is creating the ceiling in the first place. It is the society which is saying that women cannot take charge, but it's the same society who has to change the notion that women can take care and take charge. Uh, in an organization, if they, if they believe that, you know, as a mother, there is a common belief that as a mother, you, you contribute lesser to the workforce, then over there, the organization has to understand that if anything, and I can lead by example there, that becoming a mother has made me much more efficient at what I've done because I value every minute more and I make every minute count. So it teaches you a lot of things, motherhood, right? So according to me, the, the, there is there is age-old notion, there are beliefs, and, and these, are, these beliefs are strong setbacks. And if you look at what the pandemic has done, it has added another layer to this glass ceiling. The number of women who dropped out of the workforce again has gone up. And... Uh, if I speak about India, we have half our graduates are women, but only 23% are in the workforce, down from 35%. So if anything, the problem is, is becoming worse. While for, and for those who step across and come on the other side, because there is so much cognizance of the fact that it's difficult to make it to the top, we are celebrated. And that's a big boon because we are now able to set examples for so many younger women that you can do this. You, you can take charge of your life and you can give your best at both because both are always so important, both family and work. According to me, it's you as a woman have to be able to do both. And if I have to rewrite this entire notion, I would say women can take care and take charge and men can take charge and take care. And I think that is very, very important. And that, I'm so glad you brought that up about men in that equation, because I think we're so used to, it's sort of an either or. It's either a female that's breaking the glass ceiling or to, to, ceiling or to your point, walking across it at the expense or at the diversion of what men might be doing. But it does seem to me that we're all going to get to the, the place we want if we understand each other better and understand the role either that, that men have at home with their children, if they have children, how that then layers into their work life. Can you talk a little bit about how men play a role in what you are, the vision that you are talking about? As the days uh, go by, we see men contribute equally. And I think the pandemic has played a role uh, you know, in a lot of men spending time at home with their families, with their children. And so many of them have come out of that feeling rejuvenated and getting a whole new facet to understanding how managing home is. I come from a family where I think that has been the biggest enabler for me. My father-in-law, uh, my husband's brother, their cousins, all. And it's it's there are a lot of men in this family where I come from and they all equally chip in and take care. So I see the importance it has in my children's life as they grow up. I see how much of a role it plays in making my two boys understand that as they grow up, they also need to grow up and take care. And it, they are equal shareholders, right? In this whole bringing up process. I love that equal shareholders, even from the your, your, your boy's perspective. Um, let's talk about education. And one thing that I worry is that... Do we, we want to get to a point where we don't have to have young women like feeling as if they have to talk about the glass ceiling, that it's just, we've already sort of gotten past that. And it's because we've created generational experiences through education to support all the elements that they're going to need to succeed as entrepreneurs. So help me understand your thoughts around education and how we better prepare. I mean, look, in the U.S., we have battled for years in STEM and STEAM 
uh, curriculum for young girls, right? And so I think that that's been around the world uh, too, right? And so <clears throat> how do we support them in education so that we're not worrying about, because it feels like they have to, they're like multiple battles that young yes. girls have to fight. They've got to fight the perception that they are trying to have it all, right? And I've heard you talk about that in other interviews. And then, oh, by the way, be an entrepreneur and be a successful student and be a wife and a mother. How do we kind of move some of those to the side by understanding how we can support them with curriculum that matters? I think it starts with the most important understanding that you educate a woman, you educate a generation, or you educate a girl, you educate, you educate a generation, right? Because the minute she's educated, she will ensure that her children are educated. And that is something which is a generational shift. If you want to look at things, needle the needle moving, you can make that happen only if it starts by educating a girl child. So that's why it's so, so important. Now, that being said, how can we do that? This is where technology can play a massive role because technology is a strong enabler. And I've seen that uh, not only does it make a teacher a better teacher, but it also very strongly bridges the divide, uh, makes the world flat in the sense that somebody who is sitting in a remote village uh, you know, has the same access to the same high quality teacher as compared to someone who's growing up in a tire one city. And uh, why I can say this with so much confidence is that, and, and, and I'll speak about the Education for All initiative over here. We have impacted 3.4 million children over the last 15 months through our not-for-profit social initiative. And these 3.4 million children are all first generational learners. They are students who are, uh, you know, have never been to school, they're, they've dropped out, right? So the, the, the impact is huge. This is their primary mode of learning. Half of them are girls. So if you see what technology does, it actually enables you to learn from where you want, how you want. So parents are also okay with their, with their daughters being exposed uh, to content which, which they can consume from the comfort of their home. Because as you said, it's not safe. Uh, not not every parent wants wants their daughter to go miles to attend a school, but they're okay with with them learning something if it's from the comfort of their home. So technology, according to me, is the key to bridging this divide. Uh, while we speak a lot about you know uh, the digital divide and everything with the smartphone penetration that we see today, it's much more easier to solve the inequities which exist in the physical world. Uh, than that exist in the, uh, I mean, it's far easier to bridge the inequities that exist in the digital world than in the physical world. Because if you think about it, it's much more difficult to put up schools and equip that with great teachers than it is to enable internet access and provide a smartphone, right? So we've seen that also, over the, the traction has been phenomenal. We're seeing an increase in learning outcomes, which I think should be the end goal for any education, any learning company. Ultimately, the child should love learning and that should result in increased learning outcomes. I want to talk about the stories that we consume when it comes to the narrative that we're talking about. How do because you made a great point there about parents, right? So the parents will see, let's say, a young girl that is embracing technology, which is opening her eyes into the possibilities. What kinds of stories do we need to be reading about, seeing in the movies and on TV that don't just sort of prop up and say, oh, look at this one female that did something amazing. But how do we start to integrate in those stories so that we're seeing it over time so that it's it sort of, it's a collective um, experience where you start to say to yourself, oh, wow, I'm so used to seeing, you know, young girls starting their own businesses and, <clears throat> and achieving 
sort of the things that we had left, at least in Hollywood, for men to achieve. How do you think about story as a power, powerful lever in what we're trying to accomplish? Stories with a, with a narrative which, is, which shows you generational consequences, right? Where, where you see that the impact uh, is beyond a generation. Those are the stories that we need to see. Stories where we see, and, and I'll give you an example, there is a village in India where uh, there are girls who, to escape child marriage, play football. And uh, so they, they follow that as a passion for their sport. And this, you know, postpones or gives them time to get married and they want to run away from child marriage. So we have to, we have to like, and, and I know that you speak about, it's not about every, every time you educate a girl, it's a victory for the family. And there are so many such victories that we see across the world today. So it is in these, the stories and, but unfortunately, like, you know, and education is an investment where you don't see returns in a day. You may not even see it in a year. You need to wait for years. It's much easier to show the outcome of building a shiny bridge than to show one of an educated mind. Uh, but but and, and I think that's where the power of storytelling can help us. Uh, the stories that we see should be about the impact that it creates when where, what the impact that education creates. We're already seeing that happen because especially young countries with, uh, you know, it, it, a high demographic dividend for them. It's a double edged sword. So you having such a young population uneducated. Uh, is a recipe for disaster. But on the other side, it has the potential to change the world. So it, so according to me, these are the stories that need to be spoken about, the stories of how education can create success, uh, not just for that person who is getting educated, but for the next, the next, the next generation. Let's, let's turn the topic to you specifically. Um, let's talk about how you've changed as an entrepreneur. Uh, one thing that I've, I've, really enjoyed. And as an outsider, I have noticed even over the last year or since, you know, our last interview outside of seeing you in San Diego a few weeks ago is it feels like you have really come into your voice where you are, even in your LinkedIn post, you are sharing quite a bit about your perspective. And there's a lot of passion that is coming from that. Um, it is not just a sort of co-founder business speak when did you start to feel that? I mean, when were you aware that, I mean, I get the sense that, that you're probably very much like my daughter and my wife with strong opinions since day one, right? And I think that's, that's incredible. Um, but when as an entrepreneur, did you start to feel comfortable in your skin um, in that saying, being able to say, you know what? I think people are going to listen. I think that there's an audience for this and I'm going to walk into really who I am as a woman. Was there a point in time where you started to feel that and embrace that? There's no single line answer, but maybe if I reflect back on how I started the journey 14 years ago as a teacher, I always had an audience to, to listen to uh, what I had to say, right? So the first class was hundred students and I had students who looked up to me uh, to help me create an impact in their life. So that has shaped me. And I think over the years from moving from an individual contributor, because when you're building a company, there are so many things you start, you do it on your own from, uh, from, from finance to HR, to uh, sales, to marketing, to support. You, you learn so much when you, when you move grounds up uh, that at one point you, you start realizing the focus has to be on enabling people. So maybe the turning point for me was when I was able to nurture and enable more leaders in the system, when I was able to have many more divyas in the organization, uh, 
who could do things much better than me and i would proudly say that today uh, you know in, be it teaching or be it uh, support or be it uh, you know brand but all these people are able to uh, i would hope take inspiration from what i have done and built and today they are better leaders and i think the strength of a leader is in enabling more leaders around them and and i've seen and a lot of them are women a lot of them are men all of these people getting out of it's about doing things out of your comfort zone if you are if you are an entrepreneur you you cannot you have while you grow big you also have to move fast sometimes i feel like an elephant with wings because we are such a big company 40000 people but we are flying and that's not easy to do so what i've come to understand is that even with growth uh, and expansion agility is key and these are these are the you know few ways in which and why i speak so much is on linkedin is because that's where a lot of people a lot of people ask us right what did you do uh, what did you do right uh, the the fact is there are a lot of things that we would have got wrong but there are a few things that could have worked so what i share is with the hope that many more people don't have to really make those many mistakes to come to the right answer that they're able to uh, to build on the strengths uh and uh, you know just and 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 it's all about experimentation right like any business that you build there are there are nine things that won't work but one thing that will work and work big so it's with the hope of creating an ecosystem of so many more entrepreneurs i hope there comes a day rod where we don't have to say woman entrepreneur or woman leader and it, there is no gender attached to the the word leader and entrepreneur that is my hope but uh, unfortunately today i'll have to say that i hope that there is an inspiration for women to go out there and take charge and and set examples for others to follow you know a lot of people will will think about uh women and they think about multitasking and the ability to do so and then i think about running a business building a business and wearing a number of hats to your point marketing branding sales support how did you support yourself cuz look i'm sure that there were eyes or eyeballs on you as you were building byjus to see how you would uh fare as a as a female entrepreneur in ways that they probably didn't you know with, with byju unfairly how did you support your own growth and development as an entrepreneur to understand the principles of business building while you were trying to manage the public face of it and to you know do all the things that you had to do was was this sort of a in the back of your mind when you're you know sort of laying down at night thinking about these things because i would think you even had to do that much more just to build that kind of momentum and buy in where you felt comfortable in the business setting and you were also finding leaders and giving them voice headroom is produced by old soul a one stop marketing agency that understands the power of brand and nuance reach out to my guy matt at old soul and supercharge your brand and content strategy That's old soul. Shoot me a note at a oldsoul.com. That's a o l d s o u l.com. And now, back to our guest. I'll I'll answer your multitasking question first and if you ask me, uh women are better as per multiple studies, but it's the same thing that can come back and hit us because when you multitask, you try to do 10 things at one time and that may always not be the best idea. right so it's for me it's always been about prioritization it's always been about even if i can do 20 things and i think we are in a position today where we can say that we can take 20 decisions but it's about the best top two or three and giving a 100% to it that's one mantra i always live by i go by 
right? So that's one thing which has helped me. Two, in terms of there being two of us, uh, I think that's been a strong advantage because you can literally be at two places at one time. So us doing this and building this together, according to me, is a big advantage uh, because we have been able to divide uh, our responsibilities. So there are times when you have to share workload. There are times when you have to share home load. But the minute you're on the same mission, you're on the same trajectory and uh, your ideologies match, it becomes so much more easier to do it. Now, that being said, uh, for me, at both and through the, like if I have to think about the business turning points for our business, right? The first one was when we went, we launched the app. Uh, 2015, we launched the app. So through my first pregnancy and delivery, I was recording lessons for the learning app. And through the second one, which was the pandemic uh, in 2020, 2020 was when I was taking live classes from home. So, so if you ask me, see, it's it's just about uh, what is required of you at one at what point of time, uh, prioritizing what is needed at that moment for the business. And like I said, once you build that rung of leaders who who believe in the company like you do, and it's not just Baiju and me. If you look at the founding team, we are we are five students and Baiju, right? And all of us are here even today. So if you have that single-minded goal, if you have consistency in leadership, if you have a passionate team who is super fast at execution, moves towards a particular goal like a family, then it becomes very, very difficult to stop you. And I, yeah, I have no doubt that, that nothing's going to stand in your way. Uh, let's talk about sort of gr continued growth and development for yourself. Because again, now you have 40,000 employees, you have, you know, you're, you're serving kids all over, uh, all over the globe. What are the areas for yourself when you think about being an entrepreneur that you want to continue to grow in? Because I don't get the sense from you that you feel like you're, you're sort of, a, you've accomplished it, that <laughs> you, know, you want to continue to grow and get better and be more thoughtful in the ways in which you think about business and people. So uh, how do you think about that? Do you think in terms of yearly goals, uh, quarterly goals, how are you approaching that as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so while we have yearly goals and monthly goals, we also break that down into weekly and daily goals because innovation is key here and uh, lightning fast execution is is the way of the day, right? Otherwise, we won't be able to achieve with, with the way in which things are turning out. Now, that being said, personally for me, it's about how can I do something better than I did it yesterday? And that could be that could be on multiple fronts. Am I impacting children better tomorrow than I did yesterday by giving them something which is adding more value to the way they learn? Can I give them more options in the way they learn? So if you look at, uh, just to give you an example, today we have formats ranging from online learning, online learning with multiple class ratios. So, and then we also have hybrid learning formats. So we've, we are opening 500 physical centers in India where we, and it's not just physical, this is hybrid learning centers where we blend the best of online and offline learning. So for us, it's about, you know, are you, are you continuously innovating and doing something better? So one would be the formats of learning. Second would be about bringing in the right leaders. If you look at all the acquisitions and partnerships, which we have over the last 18 months managed to create and build an ecosystem for the student. And I would call them partnerships, actually. I wouldn't even call them acquisitions from, from Osmo to Tinker to Epic to Great Learning. All of these and Akash in India, they are all, we are all coming together to create something which is better for the student, create something which adds more depth in the product, 
increases the number of age groups that we are offering learning to. So it's about can we increase the the plethora of offerings that we have, but also go deeper and create something which is very personalized? Because ultimately, what we are building is is a global product, a global set of products, localized to every country and personalized to every learner. So there is always scope to do more. There is always scope to do better. And what is the north star for me? The north star for me is simple. There are millions of students we need to impact across the spectrum. So while we are building the biggest for profit company today i'm also very confident that we can build the biggest not for profit social initiative in the world because what we have to offer is something that is disruptive it will help students learn no matter which class of society they come from and give them an opportunity to change their future where did this sense of responsibility start with you because it is so strong in your voice and your presence that it's your north star i mean there are so many entrepreneurs and very successful ones that i've i've spent time with and interviewed they do very they do wonderful in their ecosystem but it may not be the biggest ecosystem i don't sense that there, that there is a stage that is too big for you and that's to the benefit of the, of the people that support bijou's and what you're all building uh, but that there's a sense of responsibility that comes through in your voice that you, in essence, that I could imagine you losing sleep if you think about children that are not being served in the way that we know we can based on the technology and the developments uh, of, of your company in that regard and others around the world. Where did that start? It's always been there. And <laughs> it was me from the first class that I entered. Uh, where I taught the first set of students to to the to the millions of children who are learning from us through video and through the app to the the centers that we are building every day. It's just that the responsibilities get added on. You you started as a as a teacher, and then there are multiple because we didn't start this as a business, right? So we started this out of the passion of creating a change in society. This passion intersected with a strong need, and. Uh, if you ask me, that is, the, that, that is the biggest reason why it's worked today. So the most, I would say the underrated uh, trait for this is passion, where uh, we've like, and that's what is keeping us going every day. And today the responsibilities are multifold. So there is teacher, there is entrepreneur, there is co-founder, there is, there is a leader, then there is a mother, of course, which is so important because it, it helps you more understand the importance education can have in someone's life. Would it be fair to also give you the title of ambassador? You feel like you, I feel like you're an ambassador for uh, a strong, independent, um, but inclusive female voice. Is that fair or foul? An ambassador for strong leaders, irrespective of gender, uh, an ambassador for merit and talent, an ambassador for fairness. You, I'm so, you, you corrected me in such a, a thoughtful way. I love that, Divya. <laughs> uh, I want to know, Tell me about your relationship with success personally, not as a, as a co-founder and these sorts of things, but I think everybody is a little bit different, right? There's, I think it's human nature to be excited when the things that we do succeed, but I also think it, it can change us in, in wonderful ways, um, but we have a different understanding with ourselves where it doesn't become about money or acquisition, in essence, in the very general term, but it means something different. How has your relationship personally to success changed over time? I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, so I, I don't know. Like, I don't think that we have done like something that we can say now we are successful, but little successes are probably in, in every student's life that's getting changed or impacted. Like, for example, 
we get calls from students who have benefited from the this new way of learning and they call us and uh, on the helpline and then every story touches us for example a girl who called in and said that you know she would only learn this way and she's now able to continue learning because of us and her mother who takes the phone and says you know if i had this i would have if i had this in my childhood i would have done something else or uh, so so these are the if you ask me or or a student who's suffering from cerebral palsy wrote me a message on instagram saying that for the last 4 years he's learning with us and he's able to learn only because of us if you ask me these these are the moments and this is the reason why we continue doing what we do but i would not call it success because there is a long way to go and a lot more to be done so then okay so let's answer that then do you do you envision that there will be a point in time where you will be able to say to yourself we have been successful or is there an internal fear or anxiety that if you come to that realization it it might change the motor the energy with which you pursue all that you do no see the end goal is success then it would change the energy with which you do right but for us it's the journey which is as exciting as the destination although i don't know what that destination is it's just to do something better than what you've done yesterday so so no <laughs> you are you are uh, such a treat to spend time with um what what is tell me about let's let's sort of close with this um when you think about uh, all the people that you've impacted have you found that you've been able to take on and understand the pain of those that haven't had the experience yet how have you been able to emotionally support that because when i talk to people who have global impact they'll talk about just the emotional side because so many people then once they realize there's an opportunity out there that can change their life they want more um and that it, i'll give you an example so i interviewed someone here in the united states that's a part of a very large uh, nonprofit charity for children who are suffering from cancer and other um other diseases and he talked about every night he would go to sleep thinking gosh if we just did one more project we could help one more child and that was sort of his personal struggle it also motivated him and his family but that was a very unique experience for him knowing that how what we do works could we do more hmm. so i'm i'm like if i i'm sorry i just yeah how do you, yeah question so yeah so how do you how do you How does that I guess hit you when you think about that because you get those those messages from the child with cerebral palsy you get so how do you kind of control that because you already have the proof points that what you're doing works and it does have incredible impact um but how do you understand that emotionally when you can think about if we already have this many proof points and these many you know this many students getting impacted day after day gosh you know how do we balance that with the kids that haven't ex- experienced right. byjuj yet correct okay so so that maybe okay the, so how we are doing that is look i'm also very practical in in my approach right so i know that we've gotten this far by giving so many opportunities and so many options for the students so for us the way forward and and we think deeply about it right it's not that we're going to rush into a decision so it's about next step forward is can i do this better and can i do this in a way that is giving more which is giving more students access because what suits student a will not suit student c so if you so if you get what i'm saying what we do is while we are cognizant of the fact that we have say impacted x students so far to impact the next y we know that maybe the same the same way in which the x learned will not 
apply to the next set so over there what we're thinking about is can we do it differently can we do it better and can we open up those plethora of opportunities to the previous set of students as well so for me the answer to you is more about look i know that there is so much to be done which is why you know we every day are at it and on it and thinking about it all the time but also we have, we also need to understand that whatever we are doing it's not about a single learner right whatever we do has to be replicated at scale because only then can you create impact because this is something which uh, I, I mean, you can impact 10 people, 20 people, but real impact is when you can do thousands and thousands of students at one go. So whatever we're building, and like I said, that's a, that's a single most thing. Let's do something where we can do this at scale. So we're also working with neurodiverse kids. So we're creating a separate product for them. And we know that if we get this product right, we're going to impact thousands of children who are affected by it. So for us, it's not about one student at a time. For us, it's about whatever we build, one product at a time, but building it in such a way that we're able to impact many, many more students. Let's close with this, Divya. So growing up, I'm 45. In my generation, entrepreneur wasn't a word that we even knew. Someone might own a business. Um, and then as that word sort of got traction, we would then segment and say, well, you know, uh, you know, Rod, you don't have the mindset to be an entrepreneur. Or, or you know, Jason, you do. Or Caitlin, you do. Or you don't. But I think we're getting into a world now, especially with my children and your children um, and their age ranges, where being an entrepreneur is just going to be as plain as day. And, and I just wonder what advice you might have for entrepreneurs in general, because there are generations that have thought to themselves, I don't know if I have it in me to start a business, to be able to handle and mitigate the risk and the anxiety of wearing multiple hats. How do you think about that to support and give advice for the next generation of entrepreneur as they, you know, take on the same journey that, that you have? You're right about entrepreneurship being, you know, a mindset, right? More than a skill. You can build it over, over the days if you have the right intent to do so. So few things that have worked for me and uh, uh, both Baiju and me. And I think these are the things if it's not advice, but stuff that work for us. One is to always dream big and dream bigger each day. And uh, and just to give you an example, like when we could fill classrooms, we booked auditoriums. And when we could fill auditoriums, we booked stadiums because we know we knew that students would come because content was core to what we did. And it was this high quality content giving better learning outcomes to which students would come and uh, learn better from. So one is that. And to always... Make sure that whatever you're building is addressing a need in society, right? Because if there is a need for your product, it will sell on its own. It, it is something that can create impact at scale and it can have huge, uh, like I'll say, huge benefits for everybody. You should be aiming to do something that can impact society, according to me. Uh, the third is, it's like, and I think we covered this already. It's about goal setting. And while we speak about yearly goals, uh, it's also important to have weekly and daily goals because, uh, I mean, you can't predict anything. So there's no point in build, like thinking about too much in the future. It's about thinking about today, tomorrow, the next month and and moving towards it with agility. That's what is, that's the biggest benefit of a startup. Uh, you have, you can be on your toes. You can, uh, you can, you can just move at lightning speed. And that is key when you're building something at the scale and the team. 
it's the most important thing. So getting the right set of people who believe in the mission as you do, who believe in uh, building something which should which should last for decades to come. So what we are doing, and especially in education, as uh, entrepreneurs, you should you should know that you're going to give the best years into what you're doing, and you're building something which is going to impact. So like we are in it for decades to come. Uh, and we're like, we are in it for the long term. So I think keeping that mindset uh, when when you're entering a business like this to give it your hundred percent, because it is like it is like a child, right? So your role cannot be defined in what you build, but you'll have to give hundred percent of all your effort, dedication, and passion to make it successful. Well, I hope that I've I've done justice by this conversation and the the energy and the passion that you bring to your work, your family. Um, that it comes through in this conversation. I, look, I'll say it. I think you're a fantastic ambassador and I'm so glad you corrected me for entrepreneurs of all shapes and sizes across the world. Um, a very, very strong voice. I encourage people to follow Divya on Instagram and LinkedIn, especially if you want to be able to just get some inspiration and understand what it's like to grow a business, but do so with a team um, and to do so with very thoughtful, visionary leadership. We want to thank Divya Gokulnath uh, of Baijus. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. Thanks for taking the plunge into Headroom, where we uncover the why behind the what and who impacting our lives. Headroom is a production of Rainlight and co-produced by our friends at Old Soul. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and this is Headroom.